This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Menge. And I'm Luc Olvide Zbeble. And our topic this week is... Building a CI and CD pipeline using Fastlane. Interesting. Uh, but first, I have some follow-up. Well, you have some follow-up as well, but I'm going to start. Uh, on episode 103, our Game of the Year episode, uh, we talked about Dragon Ball Fighters, which was my favorite game of last year. And a little later, uh, we covered on another episode that it seemed that Toei did not like people continuing to play games at tournaments. Uh, in fact, uh, Dragon Ball Fighters, they basically denied its access to Evo Japan and a few other uh, tournaments at the start of 2019. And... This week was the announcement show for the game lineup for EVO 2019, which is the big fighting game tournament in August this year. And funnily enough, Dragon Ball Fighters was on the lineup. So nice to see that uh, the biggest game at EVO last year is going to be at EVO again this year. Uh, unfortunately, right now, it seems that it is the least popular game in terms of actual signups because everybody already quit the game back when they thought it wasn't going to be supported into 2019. So that's a little awkward. Uh, but it would be really cool if some of those players got back in because it was a really fun game to watch last year and it would be nice to see it again. Well, we're definitely going to see it again, but it would be nice to see that level of competition again this summer. Uh, so that's it for my follow-up. What about you? Good. So, uh, my first item of follow-up was regarding your, uh, episode, uh, on the PSVR and your, uh, one of your main complaints about the PSVR and its, uh, audio setup. So you said that it is including, uh, earbuds, uh, and those are tend to not stick in your ear, especially when you play games where it asks you to move your head in multiple directions. Uh, a couple of years back, I bought the PlayStation 4 Gold Wireless Stereo headset. And today, I was, while preparing some of my notes, I was like kind of reminiscing. It's like, is that headset compatible with the PSVR? So after Googling a bit, because I was, I was about to suggest you, maybe you should buy this like headset that is like sold by Sony that could be compatible. But from what I've learned is it seems that Sony released a new version of this gold wireless headset, uh, and also released a new platinum wireless headset. Uh, that is compatible with PSVR. And if I look at the image on PlayStation's website, uh, the kind of the, the way the headset works, because it's an over the ear, uh, of course. And, um, mine is kind of as a, like a way, a wide band that goes from one ear to the other. Uh, and this one seems to be more thinner. And they said that this has been like well developed to make sure that it is compatible with PSVR. So I guess they took their old, uh, gold wireless headset and make sure that the new one is compatible with PSVR so it fits well with the headset and I guess that's what I mean mainly by compatible with PSVR is that it just fits well um, also I kind of realized I don't know when those headsets were uh, uh, shipped in the US uh, but I also found a blog post dating oh it's a bit it's a bit because they were uh, from a blog post on the EU section of the PlayStation website saying that those were introduced uh, last year in Europe so last February a year ago so maybe something you should look into. I spent a lot of money on my headset and I am not really willing to replace it, unfortunately. Oh, for sure, for sure. But uh, if you are not like a Nick and you already bought a expensive headset for your PS4 uh, and you plan to buy the PSVR, it could be a good idea to look at Sony's offering uh, to make sure that you don't end up in a situation where it's not compatible with it, just like physically compatible, not like technically compatible. 
on episode 105, Yannick talked about the KonMari method. And uh, we talked a lot about the Netflix show. And I was kind of saying at that time that I was starting to watch it. I watched a couple of episodes and I'd like to report back because I finally was able to watch the whole eight episode series that is time, that is named Tidying Up with Mary Kondo. I also watched all eight episodes. Oh, good. So I guess it's a good uh, time to do follow up on it and report on. I would like to report on some of what we said about the show uh, in this episode. And my first point is, um, remember all the critiques I was saying that they were talking about um, Mary's physique and all, like she's a cute Japanese like girl. Like, like, I understand that we were quite critical of it. But at the same time, after eight episodes, I felt that the main reason why I was watching the show was for watching Mary and just being her, being herself. Like, I think the best reaction she has is when she's just giggling in front of mess. Yes. That, that makes me laugh so much and <laughs> brings me so much joy. So now I can understand some of the comments you were reading about the, uh, TV reviewers that were reviewing uh, more Mary Kondo than the TV show itself. Yeah. An element that I liked also is we were talking about some of the order sh- uh, ordering, uh, order shows, excuse me, uh, where they kind of, some of those TV reality shows are making fun of people's uh, sickness. And what I like about uh, tidying up with Mary Kondo is that it depicts people that feels to me that they're like real life example. Like you could be the couples you see on TV. Like you could be like, oh, uh, whether it's like sometimes there are some families with kids or just like couples. Uh, I think they have a great variety of kind of different families to show. And you could put yourselves into their shoes and see why some of your aspect of your life in your apartment or your house could be a reason why you might want Mary Kondo's help. So that's something I like. But at the same time, it also explained why some people might have found that the kind of before and after was quite boring. Because since it was most people that most of these people kind of needed more guidance and less like intervention, uh, it felt that it's just like, oh, you need to learn to be like learn new tricks to tidy up better than what you were used to uh, do. So it means that the before and after was not really dramatic, where we can be expected from construction show, like we said, or more like other typical TV reality shows. There's one thing about Mary's technique that I feel is not explained in the show quite well, and I realize that it is somewhat explained at the end, at the beginning of the eighth episode. Is every time Mary goes to one of their clients one of the first things she does is to greet the house. And it feels quite important in her process that she does that. But then the show just says, oh, Mary wants to greet your house. <laughs> and then people are like, what? And they, like, they kind of smile. They're a bit uncomfortable. And then they, they see this Japanese woman like kind of wandering around. It's like, oh, is that the right spot? No, no, that's not the right spot. And oh, oh, oh okay, here's the right spot. And then she stays there for maybe a couple of seconds to a minute in silence. Uh, she kind of rubs the floor with her hands. And it feels to me that they should have explained it more why Marie is doing that. Uh, in episode 8, where the couple we see is a lesbian couple that just bought their first condo together. And they are becoming the new homeowners. And 
that's the first time that Marie says, because you just moved in, you should do that with me to greet your new home. And what she tells them to do is she tells them to think about like kind of happy visions that they want to see themselves here. Like, like think about the vision of you and your couple in here. Uh, I forgot the exact, like it's a short sentence, but it's like a, think about like, I think she says like, think about what you want to do with this and like, what's your vision for it? Something like that. And that's the only, like, that's the first, sen- the only sentence. And it feels to me that it's so important that it was bared some more explanation compared to all the other aspects of our technique where they do end up explaining throughout the eight episodes. And that last reason is kind of making me quite curious uh, to pick her, pick up her books. After watching the TV series, I felt that the, like that would be a good, not a, I don't know why, but I felt that it could be good for me to then just go read her books and maybe some of the interaction and curiosity I had post watching those eight episodes will be filled in by some of the more uh media material let's put it this way that uh i'm sure our book describing fully our technique will bring me like i mentioned on that episode like i did listen to the audiobook for spark joy and at least as far as that book is concerned i don't think she talks about the greeting the house so much i also think it's hard to really explain it it's more something that she feels inside of her more than anything tangible that can be explained, which is why it's kind of hard to do it on the show. Uh, and I, I do agree that that last episode, like it does give you some semi explanation if you need that to actually understand what she's doing. But yeah. Yeah. I, I feel that there's something, uh, I think the right word here would be say something spiritual that she believes that she should do uh, every time. I don't think it's spiritual so much as it is like an extension of the gratitude that she gives to objects. She also wants to have that gratitude for the home itself. Hmm. Okay. Okay. That, 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 that's that, the that, way that, I interpreted it anyway. Yeah, that that to me feels like a good interpretation of it, which I feel that if that's what she needs to do, just like maybe a 30 seconds clip about why she does that and that's for the reason would have been great. And that's mainly it. Uh, it is, it is a good recommendation uh, of just this to me like a typical like TV reality. They just turn on the TV, you watch. Uh, it's super light. There's nothing bad. There's nothing like to make you feel ashamed. There's also I don't feel that there in this one. There's no like judging of people. No. Uh, so that's something like just like you want to literally like turn off your brain from the from work and let's be honest this week has been a bit rough for me at work so that was a great kind of ex- uh, uh, escape room if you see kind of, if you see what i mean uh by watching finally finally watching the six remaining episodes on tidying up with mary kondo and i do hope that they will be doing another season i would be really surprised if they don't have another season uh, and i hope i can watch it soon because that would be cool do you have any more comments yourself since you watched the the remaining episodes well like i had heard so many things from people who were fixating on containers containers boxes boxes and containers (laughs) and having watched the show i'm like yeah i think the show pushes the boxes and containers thing a little bit too far like it's never explicitly mentioned that murray's business is to actually sell boxes and containers no that's true 
which I found a pretty classy, actually. Like, it's not an infomercial for Marie Kondo boxes. But at the same time, I feel like that's not the part you should be emphasizing. You should be emphasizing more of the philosophical aspects of her approach uh, on the show. And especially because, like, it's strange because the book is so much like, follow these steps every single time you do the process. And after, I think, the first two episodes, they leave out certain categories of uh, things. Like, sometimes they just don't talk about documents. Sometimes they just don't talk about books. Like, pretty often they'll talk about clothes because everybody has a lot of clothes, apparently. <laughs> yeah, that's a recurring team. Yeah, but the other categories, like, they tend to, like pick two or three for the episode and stick to those instead of doing all of them, which means the amount of actionable information, if you're only interested in a specific category is actually rather low compared to reading the book, which makes sense because the book has a lot more time to actually like establish things. Uh, but yeah, I, I just wish the ratio of philosophy to boxes was more towards the philosophy part. Since yeah, and, that is the most appealing part of her work, as far as I'm concerned. And regarding the focuses, it feels to me that the way they, fo they, they chose the focus points in each episode was really related to the clients that Mary had at that time. Like, Oh, definitely. Like, they wouldn't talk about the books because sometimes she was like, oh, the second step is books and miscellaneous. Or I forgot the third one, but like, you saw that she was, no, it's books and paper. Sometimes she was saying that. It's books and paper. And it's like, no, but this episode before you said books and then paper. But you realize it's no, no, for this family, they have a lot of books, but not that much of paper. Or for that other family, they have no books and a lot, shit ton of paper. Or for some family, they have shit ton of books and shit ton of paper they need to triage and tidy up. And that's where I feel that it, it was quite important that he put like, oh, no, we just focus on this one. We give you more tips on this one and all that stuff. And about that specific example, I found it really interesting because... At least in her books, she seems to be really like, like, she's not very judge, judgy about like what you decide to keep, but she's very strict about sticking to the method. Whereas I feel like this is an evolution. Maybe it happened over having more American clients or something that she realized that maybe one size doesn't fit all. But it was sort of interesting to see that she finally sort of deviated from that path and decided okay maybe for this particular client it is actually in their interest to deviate from the usual process that's true and we had an example of that in episode four where the the woman that lost her husband yes. when she would wanted to start with like doing like she did her clothes and then say because we feel that your husband's clothes are sentimental at times they should be done at the end i'm like no i'm mentally ready to do that like there's a mental burden of me seeing those clothes and now i'm kind of mentally ready to process them so let's get with let's get with it and they spent uh, i think at least a minute or two in the episode explaining that that oh because now we feel that she's ready that she gave me our good arguments that we should make them adapt the method to our needs and not like stick to the method yeah good so that was it for my uh quick comments on Marie Kondo. uh hopefully next time Yannick surprised me with uh <laughs> like a TV series special a surprise topic that it's not a special surprise topic so I can plan ahead and have the uh, watch the show before we talk about uh, the show but I know you wanted to talk more about her books and less about the show but still since uh, Mary Kondo is uh, I would say invading America with her joy and her tidying up, tidying up uh, uh, philosophy 
that it would have made sense to just wait a little bit more, I would say. But that's okay. I still like you. All right. And I also have ideas of stuff we could watch together potentially soon. And I will definitely let you know before we do that, because <laughs> it's not just going to be like an episode or so of something. It's probably going to be a full season of a show or something. But no spoilers. Ooh. Ooh. Unless you want to do again this. Um... Oh, was that? Oh, yeah, that was the. Uh... You are introducing me to vaporware type of vaporwave, yeah. Vaporwave, excuse me. Yes, that would be that was a fun episode. Yes, good. So tonight, uh, for my second month in a row, I am back to a programming topic. So if you are uh, not aware of programming, you might find this one a boring, or B, you might not understand a word I'm about to say after the sentence. So I'm not sorry in advance, but. This is the cue for my dad to start tuning out. <laughs> yes, that's kind of the cue here. But yes, uh, so I'm sure for a lot of iOS developers, uh, they, you might have heard of Fastline. So tonight I'll be talking about Fastline and how to improve your CI and CD pipeline with it. So a uh, quick introduction uh, on Fastline. Fastline is a suite of tools to help you create a proper uh, continuous integration and continuous deployment pipeline for your mobile apps without losing all of your errors. So in that case, uh, this is a multiple tools to do uh, multiple stuff from code, not coding, from everything that happens after coding up until deploying to the App Store. But before I do that, I kind of want to revisit some of the topics because uh, I hear a lot when I speak with people, whether it's uh, uh, events like I go with CocoaEds or even at work or where other developer friends that we talk about, like CI and CD and kind of generic words. And before we start, I start to talking too much about it. I would like to go back to some like normalized or like fa favored definition for those words to make sure that we are talking about the right things. So uh, according to Wikipedia, the definition for continuous integration is the practice of merging all the developer working changes on the shared mainline several times a day. So this is really an aspect of the development work that happens most of a team because if you're alone, yes, you can merge your changes into a, a main trunk, a master branch, if you want to have the Git naming here. But if you're alone, you're not like really like conflicting with each other. And the idea with continuous integration is to make sure that people are not working in their own corner of the code base. And then like three months later, they come back with the huge changes. And then now it's like just a hell of integrating those changes with the other parts of the application because they've been divergent so long that the kind of the life of the app and the architecture of the app have changed so much that it's incompatible with what I've been doing. Sounds like you've been describing my last Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Yes. No, but it's funny to me because like those concepts and that was, was it, that's why I want to revisit them before going back to like how to maybe build a pipeline for this is we take them for granted, but at the same time, we still encounter like some projects that we don't do it correctly or we kind of cut corners and I feel that sometimes even myself we could like don't we don't remember why those concepts are quite important and independently of which like real flavor that you implement for your own languages or your own tools like like they stay the same even if you're like a back-end dev or front-end dev a iOS dev and Android dev like the practice of merging changes more frequently than not frequently is in general good the bigger the teams are 
because you want to minimize this integration L like uh, the definition on Wikipedia is calling it. The next approach to that is after merging all of those changes, you still need to at some point decide to deliver something to your customer. And that's where continuous delivery, uh, uh, one definition for CD is, as uh, its name suggests, is uh, an approach in which teams produce software in short cycle, ensuring that it can be reliably released at any time and doing so manually. Again, uh, definition from Wikipedia, but more or less is to say is you define a specific amount of time and now I don't want to mix any like programming way of like, a, like any, I would say any agile methodology here, any like software programming methodology here, but continue the risk is just to say like, you do stuff for a fixed amount of time with at the end of goal of producing a delivery to a customer, whoever, whomever is your customer and doing so to produce this delivery is still done in a manually fashion. So that's the example because tonight I'll be talking about AS development. Uh, let's say we work on a project for three months. Uh, every day we like I merge my exchanges, then we can test them and blah, blah, blah. All that goes on, and that's where we'll do the continuous integration. Uh, on top of that, I'm gonna have unit tests, UI tests, integration tests. Uh, there's like tests that can be run automatically while we merge in the mainline uh, to make sure that what I've done doesn't break what the others have done. So now we're still in the CI part. Uh, at the end of this three months, we now like we realize we have all the features we needed to deliver to the customer or to deliver to the app store. And then we would like manually go in Xcode, create a build, export an archive and upload it to iTunes Connect. That would be the CD part, the continuous delivery. The last aspect that I want to touch that was like super important for Fastline that is part of this context is the continuous deployment, uh, which is continuous delivery, but just done in an automated fashion. So it's really the same thing. It's just that you do it more frequently. And the main reason you're able to do it more frequently, it's because you automated the hell out of it. And that's where Fastline comes in. Can I give an example of uh, the com continuous deployment as it, at its extremes? Yes, of course. So Facebook, uh, this is like a few years old, but they reported at their uh, developer conference that the Facebook website gets deployed automatically every six hours, I believe. And Oh, shit. I didn't know about that. And the Facebook iOS app, well, I think their cycle is two weeks. All the Facebook iOS apps are on two weeks. And yes. beca because it's completely automated, that's why the patch notes are always the same block of text. Because, like, nobody's going to write release notes. The release was automated. It was just whatever was at the head of that branch at that moment that got sent to the app store and let's be honest it, it, the like the functionality for the main users could not change in two weeks like they they might do so much stuff in two weeks yes but a lot of might be like in progress work that is either using feature flags or like a b testing functionality that for the end user you don't really care about what they've done in the last two weeks but in the end what they've uploaded to apple the binary did change for sure yeah, one of my friends from, I believe it was the jailbreak scene, actually got a job at Dropbox just because he found the feature flag to enable the iOS, uh, the iPad app version of Facebook <laughs> before it was out. 
and like that caused a whole commotion uh, oh i remember that yeah that was someone i knew so there you go oh yeah yeah, yeah. i didn't know that it, the the server wars were that frequent every six hours it's like seriously and that frequent. was like at least three years ago so it's probably faster now Right, and but that, that I am a hundred percent sure I have heard the same numbers for Facebook, Google, depending which apps with Google with Dropbox too. That uh, every couple of weeks on iOS, I know Facebook and most Facebook apps is every two weeks that they do that for iOS, and it is quite impressive. Um, and you do end up to have a lot of automation, whether it's like you automated tests, uh, UI tests, unit tests. Like you need to have a lot of automation for it to happen and not rely on humans because sadly no it's good because i don't want to work 24 hour 24 7 uh 365 and you know what computers can do that yeah think what you will of facebook the company facebook's devops team is amazing and i don't i don't agree with 100 percent of their decisions of course because they have some wacky decisions sometimes but just the feats they are able to pull off at a huge scale is super impressive just on a technical level. And I have a lot of respect for that team because what they do is amazing. Good. Um, before we go back to Fastlane, what I want to conclude this kind of like CI, CD 101 is depending on the, ty- on the size of your project and depending also on the, si- the type of culture you want to have in your team and also maybe on like smaller project when you're alone, like you might do portion of it but not everything like for a lot of people these days like ci means automated tests and maybe for you it just means merging everything on master making sure that uh, your teammates don't conflict with each other uh but in that so like there's a lot of automation happening and for tonight what i will describe as ci is really merging uh, to master but making sure that every time there's a new change on a branch or on the code base that there's a suite of tests that is run i won't in declare uh, which type of test i will the ba- assume base minimum that we have unit tests that are run automatically uh, but it could be as minimum as unit tests to uh, integration tests up until also ui automation that is run uh, whether it's nightly or every code changes and for a continuous deployment, we won't talk about continuous delivery because uh, Fastlane is there to automate a lot of stuff. So we don't really care about the manual stuff. We will be con- talking about really automatically deploy a changes that you've done from your code base to the App Store, including all of the processes that iTunes Connect as an iOS developer to do. Good. So now let's go back to Fastlane. Uh, so like I said in the opening, Fastlane is a suite of tool to help you build that pipeline, uh, to make sure. And it's, 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 it's composed of a lot of tools to make sure that you don't have to write them yourself and just like really like use all of these tools and build it for your own needs. A lots of functionality that Fastlane can do for you. I'll enumerate some of them. Like I said, build and run your tests. And generate reports in different format. A couple of examples, JUnit HTML. That's super useful if you want to run those tests automatically on a CI server like Travis CI, like Circle CI, Atlas and Bamboo, Jenkins, name it. Fastlane can run the test for you and then create output for those systems to tell you, oh, all of this has passed, like, oh, this test fail for this reason in their own natural way to generate reports. 
Uh, another matrix that some dev like to have, run code coverage, same thing, it's because it's one of the type of tests. Fastlane can give you easy tools to do so and generate reports in any format that you like. Um, deploying, like I said, we will talk about deploying a bit. Uh, so you can deploy to TestFlight or any other beta testing services like RCAP is one. I would say Microsoft has one, but they have RCAP now. Uh, uh, Crash Analytics, that had one from Google. Uh, also, you can deploy to the App Store itself. You can also automate the process of changing the metadata on the app. What I mean by metadata on your app, on the App Store, like screenshot, the description. A screenshot is a big one because if you think about it, the second you have a localized app, Apple is requiring you to have screenshot for each languages you would like to support. And that's kind of the main points I want to talk about Fastline tonight. But if you go look at the documentation, you'll realize that they have a shit ton of tools you can use to build your CI and CD pipeline. Before I go into core concept of Fastline, I want to go quickly on a small uh, history tour of it. Uh, because its history is quite interesting. Like I said in the opening, it is an open source suite of tools. So you can contribute to it. But it was originally developed by Felix Krauss in 2014 with the first original version released in November of that year. Uh, the first few features uh, that were developed by him was mainly to help him automate the CD part of it. So really the continuous deployment of screenshots and the binary to uh, the App Store Connect, also known as the iTunes Connect at that time. After the launch, it gained, it was quite, it started to be uh, popular and they added more and more tools. And not even a year after it being launched, Twitter bought it uh, at that time because uh, if you recall, that was that in 2015, that was a time where Twitter was kind of develop, building their own developer platform with the Twitter Fabric project. Um, so Fastlane stayed on t on Twitter's ownership up until January 2017 when Google, uh, Twitter sold Fabric to Google. And since then, Fastlane is a Google product under the Firebase team. And, uh, and of course, it, since that time, they're like, we've seen multiple versions. The adoption rate went really through the roof. Uh, there's a lot more like, CI SaaS software that was built on top of that, one of which that was bought by Apple called BuddyBuild. Uh, we talked about it in a previous episode. Uh, but Fastlane is kind of, I would say it's kind of becoming the, oh yes, I would say it's becoming one of the de facto tools to build uh, and deploy uh, mobile apps because they also have support for Android now, even if it started on iOS first. And earlier this month, uh, Mr. Krauss announced that he was leaving Google to do new endeavors. So that's kind of the latest news about Fastlane is that its uh, original creator was leaving Google uh, to just work on something else. After nearly five years there, he was saying, oh, I want to work on something new. Now, let's talk about some of the core concepts. So how, using all of these actions I talked about, like building your test, how can you end up building your pipeline? And the way Fastlane works is it works with lanes. And the lanes is a series of steps or it's a series of action that the software should do. So like I said, a lot of what I described before are called action. So let's say here, if we go back to my examples, uh, I have an iOS app. So 
when I do a change, I want to make sure that I run all of its tests. So I could have a, a lane called run test. And in that, there's going to be an action called run test that will make sure that all my unit tests that are on my application are run and are successful and parse the results, make sure that it can generate a HTML format so I can make sure that all my tests or if there's a failure, I can see to it. Of course, a lane can contain multiple actions. Imagine a case that uh, I have a different lane called deploy to app store. And I will have, and every time I want to deploy to the app store, I want to do three things. First of all, I want to run my test again to make sure that I'm not deploying a broken app to the app store. Second of all, I want to generate this app and it's binary. Once it, this binary is generated, I want to upload it to the app store. Then after it's uploaded to the app store, I want to make sure that on, in the app store, I have the most updated metadata on this new version. So making sure that if I have screenshot in my code base or if I have a description, localized description and even the release notes, I want to make sure that all of this is uploaded to iTunes Connect automatically. And each of them would become one action in uh, my lane. What's super magic about Fastlane is this kind of reminds me of uh, of workflows is there's a concept called lane context. So each action have inputs and outputs. And depending on the way you, uh, you place them in your steps, they will share a same context. Imagine, the f like I said, we go back to my example, there's the build the app, and then I want to deploy. Of course, I need to set some parameters, say, okay, go in the code, like, go in the source code, go look at, uh, my project, find my project, and then that's the project I want to build. But because it, Fastlane knows that it's running inside your code base, if you only, and you only have one project inside, into that file hierarchy, you don't really need to specify, like, which project file you want to build because it can automatically detect that. The same thing after building your application, it will set it in the lane context that, okay, there's a binary store on, on the file system at this location. And then the deploy to app store action would read that same context variable saying, oh, oh is, there, is there another action before me that did build an app? And if so, I will read it and then just use that. So, so uh, the lanes could be as simple as, uh, as really, imagine I have three methods, run test, uh, excuse me, three actions. One called run test, one called build app, and one deploy to app store. If you look at the documentation, the name are close to that, but I don't remember the exact names. But it's your file, your script kind of becomes build app, deploy to app store, and there's no parameters sent to those actions because a lot of it can be implied by the order of those steps and some of uh, the since it's running in your code base, those other stuff can be implied too. Of course, a lot of it can be parameterized, but that's where the magic of the, all of those tools is there's lane context does a lot for you for free. So from what you're describing, it sounds like, I mean, we have like Xcode projects and make files to actually build the application, but Fastlane provides a way for you to sort of make a make file for all of the human work that would normally go after the build of the application. 
Yes, you're correct. To get that completely onto the App Store. Which, by the way, as someone who has done that in the past, it was incredibly time-consuming and not necessarily the most user-friendly interface to do it with. And the thought of just like being able to type something in the command line and boom, the app is submitted to Apple seems pretty amazing. And it wasn't quite there last time I saw it. No, they kind of improved it quite greatly uh, throughout the years. And now... They even go as doing the like, code signing management for you, the code signing for you, the code, like the certificate management for you. I think the extreme cases you could store in a specific Git repo, all your search. Then one of the tool knows how to check that out and then pass all of the search to your build machine. And it's like, it's becoming crazy. That's one of the parts that I haven't, I haven't touched yet. Because it's, it feels to me it's like one of the expert actions. Yeah. And since I started recently, I don't want to touch uh, with those just yet. But it, you're making me uh, remember a good point is Fastline, as you can see, is quite modular. There's like multiple action included in by default in this uh, uh, tool suite. And like for the general stuff, you can just like use all of them. But they have a rich plugin ecosystem that you can use and what a plugin is is really just a way to provide you with custom actions that others can build or you can even build your own plugins if you have stuff that is not included in default suite and nobody has done it because you have something specific you can write your own plugin and your fast lane file can just link to it and then can be using all your lanes in that file yeah, for example, if you want to abuse the Apple Enterprise certificate system and deploy your application that way illegally on the internet, you can totally do that. Right. That's a good example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good example then, now that I think of it. But yes, that, that, that is a good example. You're correct. Like, uh, you could build your own plugin that is deployed to my, like, to Unix App Store. Let's put it this way. I mean, my original example was going to be, like, let's say you want to deploy to the Amazon App Store, not Google Play. But then I thought of the enterprise one, and I was like, this one is way more topical. That's a good point. I'm not sure. Uh, since I haven't looked at the Android actions too much, I, I'm not sure if there's, I, I'm not sure if there's one included in the base tool set. But I'm sure somebody somewhere like coded uh, like a third-party plugin that you could use to deploy to the Amazon App Store if you'd like so. Probably. But that's a good example of the plugin architecture that uh, Fastlane can use uh, can is exposing. So you can add on, you can add plugins to uh, your Fastlane project inside your code base, and then you can use those uh, externally. Whether they're gems, because uh, Fastlane is built using Ruby, so it's using a lot of the uh, dependency management tools of Ruby, but I want to keep that for later. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, but yes, you can do that. Like Git repo, I think gems are one possibility. A local path on your file system is another possibility. Uh, but what's the most important thing to uh, to remember about Fastline? It is something that is quite modular. So I, I if I go back to my example of like doing something quite sim- simple. Uh, you could even strip it down. Let's say you already have, like, your old way of building your app. I don't know how you do it, but imagine you 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 pulled your error for the last like five years and build your own like build script that uses uh, Xcode build uh, to and that's if, the if you're using Xcode build, you're still too high level for me because I have my jailbreak build scripts that are ridiculous and call the compiler directly. 
Yes, yes, you could do that. But in the end, like if you do only want to automate the upload to the App Store Connect, you can have a lane that is just like, go read on that, go read that path on the local, uh, local file system. And then you should be able to find an IPA and then upload it to the App Store Connect. And that's it. So that's why all of those actions, they don't, yes, they can, if they are used together, they kind of become magic because they read from the lane context, because they read from the output of each other. But if you want to specify where it should look for its input, you can also do it. So you can start, you, you can start it small, uh, whether you're starting a new project or just like trying to improve your CI and CD pipeline in an existing project. You can start small and then just add more and more uh, without it becoming kind of a, oh, we need to rewrite everything. And that, I think, is what is the most powerful with Fastlane. So I've talked a lot about Fastlane itself, but I'm sure you're asking like, oh, if it was so magic, I'm sure there's other stuff uh, that we could use that is different than Fastlane. And yes and no. So I want to talk quickly about uh, the alternative to Fastlane. Uh, and I kind of say that they are kind of rare right now uh, because some of those alternative either the one that are uh, build variable, they're not like complete, complete. Um, of course, if we start with the most bare bone one, and that's kind of what Fastlane is doing for you, you can call Xcode build directly to build your app. And now that Apple is exposing App Store Connect APIs directly, you could build your own like scripts that talks to the Apple, uh, to the App Store Connect API. Of course, uh, Fastlane was doing deployment to the App Store Connect before Apple had a public API. So, of course, they were uh, looking at some of the private uh, APIs that Apple were using for their own tool to do more or less the same thing. So, you could have done exactly the same thing to kind of build your own Fastlane on top of it. And I, personally, that's what we've been uh, doing, especially for building tests, uh, running tests and uh, building uh, the app for a couple of years where I work. But we're slowly but surely moving to Fastlane. So uh, we delegate that to a lot of people that are contributing to it uh, and see that sometimes what what was happening is we update to Xcode and then some of the parameters we sent to Xcode build are no longer working correctly. And then we realized quite quickly that another team at work that were using Fastlane got the answer for us to how to fix our script because Fastlane was sending already the right parameters or they already had the version updated like a couple of days after the Xcode, the latest Xcode release was out. So they can tell us, oh, just, just modify the script this way because like Fastlane uh, end up generating an Xcode build command this way. Mm. So we just had to modify our script to do that. And that's kind of where in the past year that we're kind of, eh, yeah, we should start doing that. And the reason why I'm talking about Fastlane tonight is because I started that in some of our projects to normalize between teams how we build stuff and normalize using Fastlane. But another possibility could have been if you want to do continuous integration, could have been to use Xcode bots. But uh, that, first of all, like I said, mainly focuses on continuous integration. It only runs your unit on UI tests. What I've seen personally is it does not really scale to big teams. It's kind of good. It, to me, the, the best example I can give you of it about uh, Xcode bot, it, it feels like storyboards. Like the... It's a good tech for the team to one to three people, but if you're bigger, it's not really, really for you. 
I think the best example I can give you that. So a couple of years back when Apple introduced Xcode Bot, which is more or less uh, a make file for your running for running your tests and making sure that uh, you can run your tests on different devices using Xcode Server. I went to Apple uh, to the WWDC in 2015, and that was the year they kind of... Uh, I forgot if they, the year they released it or they made major improvement to it. But I went to the Xcode engineer that lab to ask them a question because throughout the years, uh, one of the, not one of my responsibilities, but I kind of like become like quite curious and uh, passionate about like improving our tools and especially our CI and CD tools at work. So I've been on those projects a lot in the past few years. So at that time, I was asking them a question and the way we kind of work is we need to run unit tests and every time you create a Git branch because we want to make sure that nobody breaks anything. And I was asking them, oh, that like we would move to Xcode bot, but I don't seem to see how like Xcode bot can create me kind of a, a bot for every Git branch. And they were like, oh, no, um, we don't do this. They're like it's not support. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes, that's, that's a bit weird because like, especially if the way we work and I explain a bit that we work is like, oh yeah, I understand the way you see. Uh, you, 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 I start to, see, to explain my case to the engineer to see maybe if they can modify the way it works. And then the guy drops this bomb. He's like, oh, you know, um, we have some of the big teams where they use Xcobot. Like, oh yeah. Like how many kind of bots do they have? Like how many branches do they have? Like, oh, uh, the Xcode team, they, it's like, they have the one, they're the one that has the most bots. And they have nine. I'm like, mm, I'm like, like, if I take the same calculation, like on this day, I have like 25 branches running today. And the guy was like, yeah, okay, that's not for you. <laughs> so all of this to say is like Xcode bots for my personal test seems like a good technology to do continuous integration, but not the best technology to scale to bigger teams. And except that, to be honest, like, I, like, to me, Fastlane throughout my years as an iOS developer was the first tool I've seen where it could help you do continuous deployment quite easily. I think it was the second I was aware of. Uh, there used to be a tool called Cupertino, which used to do everything, oh, I believe, yeah, by yeah. scraping the developer portal. And it stopped working last summer. And they just said, we don't really want to maintain it so just go use Fastlane instead and that's how I learned about Fastlane but yeah yeah I forgot that part and it was kind of they were kind of building it at the same time like Fastlane was building itself and I know Cupertino there was like if I recall correctly this suite has like their tools as name from cities or related to Apple stuff it used to I'm not sure it still does Right, but I know which suite of tools now that you mentioned. Oh, it. yeah, I, I found the thing. It's it, it's not exactly names of California stuff. So there's Cupertino, which talks to Apple Dev Center. There's Shenzhen, which handles building and distribution. There's Houston, which does push notifications. Venice, which does IAP receipt verification. Dubai, which does passbook stuff. And Nashville, which talks to the iTunes Store API. But yeah, it was a whole suite of like, it's called Nomad CLI, apparently. Oh yeah, yeah. If I recall correctly, wasn't that built by uh, I forgot this Matt Thompson? Mm, yeah, that was Matt Thompson, right? I, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. That's good. Yes, that was the only the other one that I think of it. And yeah, this will do like uh, Apple push notification. Yeah, yeah. But I think you're right now. They're kind of recommending uh, that you 
move to Fastlane. And also one of the main difference is Fastlane was a, like you were kind of making make files compared to those were they were CLI tools. They were command line utilities. Yeah, they were scriptable definitely, but they, they were, were not yes. like meant to be used in a sort of workflow way. Yes, you're correct. You're correct. And that would be the only one I knew about except Fastlane. And it seems after five years that, uh, like you said, Fastlane is kind of the main one, especially on the C side. Uh, Apple, I think it's last year, like I said, they, uh, they, they shipped an API that allows you to do more automation on, of the App Store Connect because you have a REST API they can talk to. But from what I've seen, what is going slowly but really happening is like tools like Fastlane are going to use this API. Now they have a public API that they can like at least maybe ask feature requests and say like, oh, we're using the API for this, but it would be nice if you have a public API. And you won't have the need to do that yourself. You can just use tools like Fastlane. Now I need to go talk about Ruby a bit. So I would like to say that uh my experience with ruby is quite limited the main experience i have with it is to write some of the small scripts we did end up doing kind of building our own fast lane for building our apps uh so more or less is like you figure it out until it works and when it works you just have it uh what i liked about fast lane itself is it seems to me that it's a good ruby citizen like when you want to create a new plugin, which one of my colleagues had uh, to do recently, like when you go through there uh, to the Fastlane through the Fastlane CLI, and you trigger the command to create the project template. Like it gives you the code coverage tool. It gives you the no, excuse me, it gives you a linter that is a Ruby linter. It gives you the uh, template for the unit test. So like. Yes, it has been built on top of Ruby, but itself, the community around it seems to be good Rubyist, if you see what I mean. And they want to build, like, they want to allow people to do more plugins, all that stuff, while still maintaining a good, like, standard for the Ruby code that is submitted to them. Also, because it is built in Ruby, it has a lot of dependencies on stuff, which brings me to uh, management of dependencies using Ruby. So, uh, some, but that was one of the main problems we had with our build old script is managing all of the dependencies that the Ruby gem we needed to install was manual. Uh, now it's recommended to run a fast lane through a tool called Bundler that does that for you. And, um, I wouldn't say it's, it was a bad experience per se. Uh, I think what happened is we started, I started to work with Bundler uh, at the beginning of the year and they've sh- recently shipped their 2.0 version, which seems to have some incompatibilities sometimes with their 1.0 version. So that was some of the problem I ran into. Uh, so figuring out like dependency management tools is sometimes a pain in the butt. But in general, uh, for that part, it, that part of the dependency management was quite like refreshing. Like we were looking for a tool to do that for our old Ruby script. And now like Fastlane is suggesting one of the Ruby options. And it seems to be quite a good option, to be honest. Yeah. And Bundler has been in use for ages. It sort of came out of the Rails 2, Rails 3 kind of era. So it's been around for a really, really long time. And like it seems almost prehistoric how we were doing Ruby gems before Bundler came along, where it was really the Wild West. 
and Bundler really simplified things. I'm still not thrilled because like every dependency management solution in the world is going to have issues and package managers is the same deal. Like the, you almost can't invent one that is perfect for everything, which is kind of shitty. Um, but it's pretty good for what you're using it for. Yeah. And it, it, what I like really about it is by using, uh, by using Bundler and Fastlane, what happens is right now I don't need. I what I needed to do is make sure that I install a, a, a Ruby version that I can install Gem without using sudo because my CI builds might install new gems while running my new commits, and so to simply do that we use the Ruby from Homebrew, so it's installed in a different place. But that's the only configuration I had to do on my build machines is just install a different Ruby. Make sure it's in a place that I can not, I can install gems without using sudo. And my dependencies that I set in my build agents is mainly say, do you have bundler? Do you have fastlane? Yes. Then that's it. Dependency management is done on the side because it will run bundler every time will be, it will every time it will run a commit and you might add new dependencies in one commit. So it makes sure that the build machine can upgrade or downgrade to those dependencies unless Unless you're dependent to a specific bundler version. And like I said, with bundler two, there was a bit of incompatibilities with bundler one. And, uh, one of the goal I had, uh, we had at work regarding to the work I did uh, earlier this year was to make sure that we have, uh, we can have all of the build machines we have at work run our shared libraries between both iOS teams. And the, the other iOS team were still running, uh, bundler one. And then we had some incompatibilities that, after a couple of weeks, they were able to make sure that they update, but still, like, that was the main gripe I had. But for the old way, we had to manage all of those dependencies by installing them manually on each build machine and, and build <laughs> machine. And if you can imagine, I have 10 build machines. So it was a kind of a, a pain in the butt to manage. Yeah. So I was happy to find Bundler. Uh, whether it's a good or bad solution to me right now, it solves my problems. So I'm quite happy. Uh, but that's that. Well, the problem it was meant to solve is kind of similar to the one you have, which is you have this website that you want to deploy on multiple servers. And it's possible that you're deploying a server like months after the website went live already. So if you type in sudo gem install something, nokogiri or whatever, uh, maybe the version of nokogiri is newer than it used to be. And you're going to get inc incompatibilities. And that was sort of how people were doing Rails sites very early on, is they were just wow. doing that or manually maintaining their gem directory and copying it from machine to machine, where Ooh, Bundler shit, is just like, here's a file with all of my dependencies and the versions, specific versions I want. And then it installs it locally in the directory of the project you're doing. So you can have multiple projects coexisting on the same machine and not writing over each other's gems. And is again not a perfect solution but it is a very pragmatic one for the problem it was meant to solve right and me learning more about it kind of reminded me uh, not to remind me but kind of uh, made me think about some of the dependency management we have on ios now that were inspired a lot by these um and kind of made me understand them better but still on ios doesn't want me to uh use them if you see what i mean like yeah. I understand the goal they're doing, but I feel that this goal is like good for the Ruby stuff that I'm doing, but not useful for my iOS stuff. Yeah, there's there's a lot of Bundler in Carthage 
that's what I've always found. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And to some degree, Cocoa Pods, although Cocoa Pods is gross. Um, now, if I have some comments about Ruby itself, uh, I don't really mind the language itself. The main gripe I have with script languages like Ruby, for example, or even even dynamic languages, uh, it's since I'm not using them daily, I always have to be in the documentation. Yeah. And for most of these languages, what you need to do is you just write them in a text editor. And yes, I might be me, but I'm still like used to an ID that does some type of auto-completion, and that miss like that I miss a lot. Like, because I'm not using that language daily, I always end up being on Google, spending five minutes trying to find how the fuck do I create a directory using the files API, right? Mm. Or how do I do this? Because I'm used to do it, like, I used to know how to do that with foundation, with, like, like all the NS classes, because I do, like, updated in Swift every day. That I can do, like, without looking at the documentation. But doing that in other languages, and since, like, we... I wouldn't say we do drive-by updates, but we fix the script when there's something wrong with the script. Or like when we build the script, we spend maybe a week or two or a month work on them. And then at the end of the month, I may be more fluent in that language. Right? I know how to do stuff. But when I need to go fix something, I need to then understand like, oh yeah, so in Ruby, I can do unless. So what does it mean the syntax unless when I'm used to do if? I need to remember that it's going to be inverse, that if you don't do this, it does that and not that. So, and that's a good, that's a good example that every time I write Ruby after a couple of days, I'm like, oh, the unless syntax is so nice. And then every time I return to my script, I'm like, I cannot like think about this script I just wrote because of those. And that is not the problem of Ruby itself. It's just a problem of me not doing it enough. And or you're that, being too clever in your scripts. <laughs> that too. But I see that a lot of the code I Google, sometimes people are doing that. So I guess maybe it's the code example that I found that people are too clever in their scripts. It's funny because I sort of have the opposite view of what you have. So I I write C Sharp all day at work uh, and I spend all my time in Visual Studio. And I've been playing a lot more with Lua recently. And playing around in Lua just made me remember how much I miss having a programming language that I don't need to use an IDE to write in. Mm. whereas it feels like so many of the other languages that we use like at our work because they have like in the case of objective c massively long method names or stuff like that <laughs> like we sort of become reliant on autocomplete or just because like we have to rely on so many fucking frameworks that are piled on top of each other whereas when i get to have a little vacation and go write some ruby or go write some lua like it's just refreshing to just be like it's almost like poetry how short the lines of code are and how simple everything is and i just like tend to gravitate more towards that style of language hmm. but don't you end up like still being like half of the time being in the documentation to know like which call like even if the call is short you still need to know what it's its name for ruby specifically no because i've just done it so much uh right but i'm talking more about the where, Lua example where i tend to get screwed with ruby is more uh new stuff that got introduced since ruby 2 because i was mm. primarily developing in the days of 1.87 mm-hmm. uh so ruby 2, 2 stuff sort of catches me off guard 
for Lua, um, I'm in the documentation not for the language, but for the frameworks. Because the language is basic enough. Like once I get refreshed to it, like it takes five minutes and like, okay, I know how to do Lua again. But I'm messing with new frameworks and then it's more framework specific documentation I'm spending all my time in and not the language itself. Okay. Yeah, I think for me, the language might take a day or two with Ruby. And then after that, you're correct that it's mainly in the framework documentation that I'm still like, like I said, the main example is like, oh, I want to create a file, but then I have a file path that I need to expand and run into a lot of stuff, fun stuff like this, like which call on the file API I should make and, or like a which like method I should call on my uh, array to make sure that I do like this, uh, like sorting in the right way I want. Like those like are like the main reason why I want the documentation less on like the Ruby tutorial, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So that's my small uh like small parenthesis about the Ruby language. I feel that uh if I would do more in it, I would like it quite a lot. Honestly, it's a shame we don't have Mac Ruby anymore. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that was the kind of the Ruby to Objective C APIs port, right? Yeah, not not a bridge, but it was Ruby on uh, the Objective C runtime. Which I was think we really talked cool. about that on the podcast. Yes, we did. We had a whole episode about Ruby implementations that my dad somehow listened to and found <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Good. So I'll come back quickly to Fastlane. We'll just say a small conclusion. Of course, I invite you. This is kind of a primer and more about my experience with it with a small kind of tutorial about it. But... uh I strongly invite you. I'll put a link on the uh, on the show notes about fastlane.io where you can see way more examples. But the simplest example they put on their front page is the one I said: is like build, la- run tests, build app, deploy, and then voila, here's your fastlane file. You kind of make file for your development pipeline, and that is the powerfulness of uh, fastlane. Yes, my experience is still limited, so I still haven't. Uh, neither myself or all my teammates migrated uh all of our apps all of our app and all of our custom script we have uh from away from those scripts to fastlane but even with the small the, the few frameworks that i've did and from what i've seen from our other team that is quite evenly on it like i'm like already convinced like at first i was like eh, the scripts like you know the scripts work fine like why would i touch it right uh, but Right now, it's like it's 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 a new thing for me. It's not even if it's kind of I wouldn't say old, but kind of like took for granted. Like it's like you sh- why should have you done that? But now it's like oh no, it's fun and I want to do more. And I already think about get this scripts. I want to do that with that now in Fastlane. Or is there a plugin to do that? Like uh, there's some plugins about like exporting to our localization platform and all that stuff. I know we have also. Uh, console script to remove some strings that excode things that are like localizable strings, but they're not in the end because we change value in code and we have like a lot of stuff automi- automated this way. So like I'm already excited about like thinking about how we should convert those from just topple normal Ruby script into a uh, fast lane action in our plugins. Uh, so I'm sure I'll, a lot of follow up in future episodes depending on what we do, but my experience with it right now is quite fun and interesting and that's kind of a different way of doing ios development but still doing ios development that is refreshing for me uh in the past few days and for the past few weeks excuse me yeah devops is really cool yeah I, it's cool in a different way it's like it's fun to like also like uh last like at the end of the, at the beginning of this week i kind of finished one of uh 
one of my feature and I was like, it was fun. This one was like, well, it was really UI focused. I need to make sure that it was like this color and then this button goes to this place and like arguing with the designer, having fun, like saying, oh, we should do it this way and that way. That, that is fun too. Like I really enjoyed doing that. But sometimes just like talking about the DevOps stuff of things is even on the iOS side is quite fun. And Fastlane makes it even like even more awesome and just like even more funnier to do so you should try it that's my recommendation not sure it's going to serve much use for me on the net side of things but no for sure for <laughs> sure but but to our on. listeners yes it was to our listeners but to you too if you want to go back to ios if you want to go, go come back home at some point back home mm. yes back home okay is that home it? the home of ios development that's what i meant come on Mm, home is a marzipan app oh but yes that was it that was it <laughs> okay so if you want to go find links to fast lane and to the song fast lane by friend of the show super sex 420 you can what? go <laughs> you can go to the oh, show notes at limitlesspossibility.net slash 108 i'm not kidding by the way that's a real I'm, artist come on i'm not i believe you but the fact that you you like google about this is just like I oh, didn't yeah, Google yeah. it. He's my friend. I I know what? his song. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Super that's Sex for Twenty is a future <laughs> funk artist. Wow, that's even funnier. Yeah. Uh, you can find all of our episodes at limitlesspossibility.net, or you can find us on Twitter at limipo underscore podcast. I don't know why I froze there. That was really <laughs> weird. You can find us individually on Twitter. I'm at Sakurina. That's S A K U R I N A, and you can find Gadvier at. I'm at Lukonoch, that's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And we'll see you in two weeks. Before we leave, before mm -hmm. we leave, since I need to make sure that I'm ready in a month, in a month, in my next episode, we will talk about my experience with Battle Royale games. Oh, shit. Yes. Yannick and I are going to talk about this phenomenon of 2018. Of course, we're old men. We are late to this phenomenon. Whoa, 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 whoa. I've been playing them for way longer than you. Oh, come on. No, I know that, but still, I, I wanted to make an old man joke. Come on. Fair enough. See you in two weeks.